Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one, Blood of Beasts, written by Crump JD. I woke up in a cage, up on the side. It was a nice sort of cage. On the downside, I had no idea where I was or how I had gotten there. I'd been exploring Altus Four, a world recently purchased from the Kahlong by the Human Confederacy of Worlds. Based on the orbital readings and automated probes, Altus had been declared habitable. The role of an explorer was to learn if it had any hidden dangers, or if there was some other downside. For example, a surprising number of worlds stink, something that biology or geology of the world just gets sideways in the human nose, and no one wants to spend any real time there until the genetic tweaking can be worked out in them to seem less obnoxious. But not Altus. Altus was nearly perfect. Its biome was stretched over the chemical framework similar to the one used on Earth, meaning it smelled fine and it was even edible. The flora was a evolutionary primitive, and the fauna was practically non-existent, meaning most of it couldn't even scratch a human. I'd taken a skinny dip in the lake, sleeping out under the stars, and leaving all my high-tech equipment picked away in the mule carrier. In fact, the last thing I remembered doing was Altus was dozing off on the beach until I was very nice sunset. Which, um, probably explained my nudity. Thinking about it, I stood and looked around the enclosure. To my left was a sweeping back, behind me I was a wall of fake stone clearly intended to look like an Altean geological feature. It ended where it met the body of water that resembled the lake, though the water, only a few feet from the shoreline, had the look of an algorithmically generated hologram. There were about 10 meters of space between the stone and the water, and that space reached forward about 25 meters before it ended in what looked like a one-way mirror. I sighed. I was almost certainly in a zoo. That'd teach me to wander around an alien world naked, like some noble Russian primitive. If I'd been wearing pants, this would not have happened. Still, wasn't so bad. I was being treated well, so my captors were probably benign. I just need to get and stay calm and demonstrate my intelligence. With that in mind, I sat down by the water and began to scratch out a simple binary mathematics in the sand. The aliens showed up a few hours later. My first warning on their impeding arrival was when the gravity directly under me started to increase. Not certain how an animal would have reacted to that, but I tried to take a cootie by just sitting down on the ground. Oh, what? This? It's no big deal. My race has also mastered spatial curvature manipulation. The force I was under leveled out at 3G, which was enough to keep me from moving rapidly and definitely enough to bring a small rock under my butt into my attention, but not enough to truly hurt me. Once I was effectively pinned, two creatures walked in. Given the movement of their limbs and bodies, they were invertebrates. They were laid out with a bit like a centaur if the Greeks had imagined headless centaur as big as a medium-sized dog's and eight legs in a vaguely spider-esque configuration. Their skin was either scaly or covered in little chitinous plates, 
and patches of it growing. They weren't an attractive species. Conceptually, humans really can't be separated from our technology. The control of fire, for example, has existed several times longer than our species. This may be one of the reasons we're so oddly hairless. Our hands, likewise, are great for manipulating tools, but not as good as being tools. As such, we've always had fond of implanted technology, and it wasn't completely without tools, even though my external gear was long gone. With a series of ocular gestures and visualization commands, I activated my biological computer and ran a query for the species of aliens. Eventually, a text summary of the available data came back to me. The people who are us, TPWAU. The species is thought to occupy a modest-sized stellar society located some considerable distance away from human influence space. As such, no formal diplomatic relations exist between humanity and the TPWAU, and most of the information available on the species comes from third-party intermediaries or very long-ranging human travelers. TPWAU are not especially militaristic or xenophobic. However, many races have reported difficulty in dealing with them due to the unique language, which conveys thought, translation matrix available. Now, which conveys does not appear to be a conventional symbolic representation of the concepts due to the fact that uh, all healthy TPWAU speak in its fullness from the moment of birth. New concepts such as new inventions exist in language immediately and all TPAW understand a new concept will agree for the correct word to identify it without prior discussion. As such, it is broadly speculated that the language is actually intrinsically linked to the TPAW mental process. Many non-human scholarly articles speculate that words in that which it conveys are similar to hash codes generated from the TPAW mental states. Regarding the underlying mechanism, this extremely tight connection between the thought and language makes it basically impossible for the TPAW to learn the other languages or even recognize information conveyed via other languages as representative of intelligence thought. By the time I finished reading the summary, the TPAW had scuffled the theory of relativity and highly effective formula for approximating pi out of the existence like they were just chicken scratches. So much for plan A. I applied the translation matrix stored in my biodigital and got bad news on plan B. The aliens had been talking the entire time that they had been in the enclosure. Apparently, that which it conveys was a visual language supported by the glowy bits. Sub-captions printed themselves directly on my optic nerves at the feet of the creatures. Doesn't have any weapons, at least it's huge. Perhaps it rushes its enemies. The first one, who I mentally dubbed the hurtful body shamer, said, Not that it was entirely wrong. Humans are big compared to most species. Among Earth life, we're considered megafauna, and there is only 250 animals that roughly grow larger than us. The majority of those are aquatic. Still, you don't like to say that. Nearly 92 kilograms... Moreover, the redundant organs I talked about earlier are all wrapped in a cage composed of extremely durable calcium compound, so smaller creatures can only hope to injure them via soft tissue damage, which is where you run into self-seeding circuitry system. I decided the second one could be Dr. Science. Also, what kind of conversation was this? I suppose they might be predators, or maybe they just get knocked out more frequently. 
These things had to have written language of some sort, right? I plunged back into the biodigital database and learned the answer was, uh, not really. Their modern writing consisted of displays of programs that glowed almost exactly like their own natural luminescent patches. Before they developed the technology for that, their whole civilization had been held back for thousands of years because only 2% of the population had ever been able to read using the earlier form of writing. Even that had been a complex system of careful tilted spools of paper, which was read by being backlit and pulled through the viewport of a device designed explicitly to display them. So, uh, there went plan C. Well, body shame afflicted, I don't suppose we can be picky about what goes into the arena at the research outpost in the middle of nowhere. It'll be a good bout regardless. No one has ever even watched this thing before. Be adventurous, spirit. The word arena was definitely disturbing, and it sent me scurrying into the TPAW database a third time. Yep, apparently these cuddly little guys just loved watching random animals fight. Some sort of inner cultural thing related to the prehistoric hunting techniques that was analogous to the human races and a ball sports and blah blah blah. My day was not looking up. The arena proved to be a natural circular depression on which the planet's surface. It looked like a small meteorite crater, but it might have been volcanic. TPWAU had carved out their version of a stadium-style seating in the sides, but left the otherwise primitive. The world I know occupied was a moon of some sort. Nearly 50% of the sky was taken up by an enormous gas giant that was predominantly azure in color and bands of rust and white. Beyond its horizon, I could see two other moons partially occluded in the daylight sky. I also noticed that I had a slight double shadow indicating that this was a binary system, though the suns were a single point in the burning too bright to make out the duality. After I finished looking around, I sort of freaked out. I had been doing my best job to signal I'm intelligent. Please don't make me fight with animals. To the TPWAU, while I looked for a way to escape. But there hadn't been a way to escape, and I'd gotten into my head that my best and last hope was that I was on the familiar world. Once I was free of the restraints and used it to move me into place, I took off to running and tried to jump free of the arena, like a wild animal they took before. Gravity on the moon was rather light. I got up to a good run of speed and leapt up to three meters into the air. Unfortunately... That wall was seven meters or so tall, and even with my hands scratching from the surface with my palms slapping onto the blank stone a meter from the top, I fell back to the ground slightly stunned. I might have weighed less, but I had just made an inertia and slammed into a wall somewhere south of 35 kilometers an hour. When I recovered, I saw something else had been moved into the arena. The TPAU called the platforms used to transport animals to their areas by a word that gets translated as pavilion, though that's no proper human equivalent. It serves as a base, armory, and shred of creatures' natural environment of the arena, and it's one of the most important parts of the fight for the TPWAU. These battles aren't the result of a bunch of bored and slightly mean humans looking for entertainment. They're the culmination of a whole psychology. Historically, TPWAU lacked humans' natural advantages when hunting. 
They weren't very big. They weren't very big. They can't run for hours, and they don't have the proper equipment to throw anything. Instead, they were ambush predators. They would watch their prey for days at a time, learning their strengths and weaknesses, and eventually pouncing. As such, learning about a creature that battle in an arena is a big part for them, and creatures of the perfect pavilion for the creatures that were part of it. Sadly, they hadn't given me a rifle or a duck blind. Maybe once they understood me a bit better. This pavilion rolled itself out roughly in the center of the arena, halted and extended a tripod legs for stability, and then slowly elevated its central section into the air with a telescoping pole. Once it reached a height of 15 meters, the central section unfolded a bit and the flower display of a small patch of another world. The top was covered in a reddish vegetation that glistened just a bit, though wet, and poached amongst the bushes was bullet birds. I winced, feeling a bit nauseous. I wouldn't have known what a bullet bird was except for the moderately famous ornithological circles, and my father was an avid bird watcher, who once took a whole family on the trip to see the odd creatures. Bullet birds move via gaseous explosions. They combust using something much like gunpowder in their bodies and gas to move their limbs and whatnot as escapes. This was what gives them their name, not the fact that they can nearly fly as fast as a round from a pistol. I immediately sprint along the edge of the arena towards the spot furthest from them. The birds are intensely territorial. That was the biggest thing that I'd taken away from the long-ago vacation. Watch these creatures through binoculars unless you want to slice to death by the creature's knife-like wings. It had been really cool when I was a 12-year-old kid. Now I just wanted to get far enough away to get left alone. It didn't work. I heard the sound behind me like a buzz of small combustion engines just jumped there. There was a swoosh and a reddish blur zipping past my skin. It was not traveling across my path. And a second between my hearing the sound and my seeing the bird had managed to leave its perch, swing around behind me, and then fly up and pass me along the wall. I probably would have been wounded, except that I was so close to the wall in the first place. There was no way the bird could have come directly at me and still pulled up the time to avoid the fatal collision. Getting some distances between us and then using the bird's terrible turning radius against them would be my best hope. With that in mind, I scanned the sides of the arena, hoping that it would contain some sort of shelter, a pile of rocks, unevenness in the ground, anything. At first, I thought my luck had failed me, but then I saw the irregularity in the wall. It wasn't much, just a long, shallow divot where I expected water had carved a little canyon since before the TPWAU had built their arena. If so, then they hadn't filled it with any way, and there was left with irregularity. Not much of one, but it was the best I had. Unfortunately, I'd taken too long looking around and I heard the chainsaw buzz of another bird. I dropped to the ground, but not quickly enough. A hot gash of pain danced across my arm even as I fell, and by the time I hit the ground, there was a deep gash in my upper bicep. I didn't know how bad it was, but I didn't stop to look. It could just be easily have been my neck. Knowing another bird wouldn't be far behind, I scrambled to my feet and took off running, hugging the wall. It wasn't very far to the depression, but it still felt like the longest run of my life. I got buzzed by two more birds, one I jumped entirely over, and the other left a shallow gash in my ankle. The most terrifying moment was when I actually reached the depression. 
I had to stop, even though my instinct screamed for me that I should keep running. Worse to be past the plain, normal curve of the wall, I had to press my back against the edges of the arena. I couldn't jump nearly as well, and this idea didn't work. I was screwed. I nearly hyperventilated as I watched the birds that had just zipped past me cut and distrust take a wide sweeping arc across the main area of the arena and then lightly touch down in its pavilion just as it reached its tall speed. They were graceful creatures and they had to be with their kind of speed. All the birds watched me for a moment and then one hopped to the edge of the pavilion with a series of movements so quick and jerky that it almost looked like a bad animation. It tossed itself over the edge. Just before it hit the ground, the buzzing kicked off, and it streaked across the arena in a blur. Even with my eyes on it, knowing its target, me, my tender flesh, I could barely track it. I don't remember if I jumped or not as it reached me. I expected I did, though likely I was too late to do anything good if I'd gotten caught up watching. Fortunately, it wasn't needed. The little creature couldn't juke fast enough to get me. This was confirmed across a dozen other attacks over the next 20 minutes. I was safe. I was bleeding to death. The cut on my arm severed something important and I couldn't stop bleeding. So I had clamped my hand down on it, but the blood just oozed between my fingers. If I could get to safety, secondary systems that had been engineered into me when I became an explorer would take over and repair the wound but my heart rate would be to cycle down for that. So I did what people have done before there were people. I grabbed a rock. There was a little less than a minute between each tack, and that was just long enough for me to hop to my corner cover, grab a big stone and jump back. The next attack came closer to where the stone had been and then went to my shelter. That was good. It suggested the birds were planning on their paths before they left the pavilion. I watched them pass by another five times. Each time, they were about to chest height. Each time, they took their bit more than two seconds from leaping off to the platform to passing me. The sixth attack, I jerked the rock up to chest height two seconds after the bird jumped off the platform. The little critter, I'd never had a chance. It hit the stone going full speed, and the rock must have weighed twenty or thirty times what it did. The bird wasn't built that solidly, and it had a metabolism based on something of like gunpowder. There was a bang, the rock was torn out of my hands, and the rush of force picking me up and slamming me into the wall. I barely managed to stay conscious, and I think one of my eardrums ruptured. All that was left of the bird was fragments and bone shattered on the arena floor, and a bunch of feathers drifting through the air. Well, and it's blood... It was pretty much painted in my entire body. I was yellow and thin, so it didn't feel like I was in a slasher movie, but it still felt super gross. Still, that apparently counted as a win. Light pulses above the arena, probably the TPWAU's version of a closing buzzer. I felt a hand sculpting gravity reach down and close around me, and then I saw the bullet bird pavilion start to pack itself away as I floated away. They temporarily compressed me but not all the way to Frozen. Instead, for about a second, the world blurred around me sickeningly. Then my arm felt as though I had caught on fire for a few more. Then I was back in my enclosure. Only there'd been alterations. First, I inspected my arm and found a nearly perfect nano job. I was better work than a human medicine could have accomplished with an alien. As far as I could tell, it was a basic physical repair that hadn't depended on a chemical medicine, but instead reconstructed the damaged tissue at nearly a microscopic level. 
and held it in place by some protein that looked a lot like my own skin. It was a neat trick, I decided. Such a repair would work on almost any biological without the risk of poisoning. Second, I had a scant beginnings of a pavilion. The artificial cliff that had composed one of my own enclosure now had a shallow cave in it, and there were rocks scattered across the floor. Some peevish instinct made me want to shun it, but I shoved that down. I definitely would be better off with a defensible position the next time I went into the ring. Anyway, the TPWAU wouldn't recognize my spite unless I could flash it to them with their own language. Instead, I made myself a bed of soft foliage and moved a few palm-sized rocks inside. That done, I dropped into an exhausted sleep. Still, I couldn't help but think I earned my rest. I had made hundreds of thousands of years of progress in a single day. I had a cave and I had a club. Perhaps I could start to work on a stone knife or a petroglyph the next day and bring myself to within inches of modernity. I fought a bunch of creatures over the next few weeks. Most I beat. If I could stay away from whatever I'd been pitted against and just throw rocks at my victory was almost guaranteed. Persistence hunting at its best, I guess. Occasionally, the bouts were more like rock-paper-scissors. There was one time the TPAU put me up against the creature I recognized as being a top predator in its own world because it had a deadly neurotoxin as venom. But thanks to my implant, I knew there wasn't anywhere for that neurotoxin to bind in a human, so I let it bite me and I kicked the crap out of it. Another time, I had to fight something that looked like a tortoise. I assumed that I couldn't just flip it upside down and then walk away. The flaw in that strategy was that it could electrify its shell. At least, being shocked and unconscious was a painless way to lose. Unlike humans, the TPAW didn't care how long or dull the fight was. They were still learning about the creatures as it still did stressful situations, so it was all good to their psychology. When something didn't fight me, I didn't fight it. I'd lay in my little pavilion and worry about how I was going to get free or the day they'd send something against me that I could kill me. The first time that happened, I had to last the day and a half without any water. In theory, humans can make three days, but not on a hot, dry alien moon. By the time my opponent started to drop, my tongue felt like it was glue-covered in wad of leather and my skin was on fire. After that, I made very crude earthen jug and used it to fill a hollow of my pavilion floor with silty water. I stored food as well. The TPWAU noticed, deepening my hollow until it would hold maybe 30 liters of water and giving me something like shelves. They didn't seem to realize my planning was of to act a higher order intelligence. But then again, squirrels store food, so perhaps it wasn't. I also made a stone knife, kind of. The artificial stone in my enclosure was somewhat between sandstone and plastic in consistency. It was more of a stone wedge, and it didn't exactly scream, I'm a tool user. Worse yet, is that it was my technological progress stalled out. Atlas didn't have wood, and I couldn't figure out how to make fire. Still, I was able to bludgeon a few things with my mighty stone wedge. In retrospect, I should have thrown a few matches, the TPWAU and the humans don't share much in our sports tastes, but we both try to match strong competitors against each other. By winning almost all of the time, I ended up reaching the top of the local bracket. Unfortunately, I didn't realize my mistake until I was pitted against a giant crab monster. 
Seeing that the thing the first time was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life, and I honestly hope that I never change this because I wouldn't mean to see something worse. If you're picturing the happy pink mascot of the local crab shack, stop. This was more like a coconut crab, black, bulbous, and ungainly in a way that was primarily gives the impression of far too many legs and slightly deceased proportions. Plus, it was huge. The thing stood nearly as tall as the stadium wall and stretched most of the way across it. I felt crowded as soon as we lifted in. It was lifted in. None of the normal entries to the stadium would have permitted it to pass, so they hoisted it over the walls instead of giving them a view of its ribbed, rigged, and armored underbelly that I could have done without. It was apparently used to this ride. It didn't squiggle or flail against the whitelessness and just calmly floated through the air until it was set down at the far end of the stadium. Even then I couldn't have moved much. It was just worked its legs an oddly delicate way and belayed its size as it seemed to scope out the arena. For a few naive moments I hoped that this would be one of those creatures that didn't attack me. That hope didn't work out. After a moment of scanning the arena, it began to bellow and roar so loudly that it made my ears hurt and it charged. Like a train, its size made it seem as though that it was moving slowly, but across the entire arena in the third of the time that I would have taken. I barely had time to dive before the back of my cave-like pavilion before it reached me. It had barely or mattered. The entire pavilion was too small for its huge claws to reach into, but it seemed to know that without trying. Instead, it slammed into the roof of the fake cave with its chest armor. The force of the impact was sufficient to crack the metal or so fake stone so badly that I could see a giant crab in the sky through my roof. There was no way the structure could survive a second impact, and that was exactly what the crab seemed to be lining up. It hadn't stopped roaring, bellowing, and undulating at the top volume, but it had reared back and its rearmost legs preparing to drop down and crush me. I launched myself out the cave like a rocket. It must have jumped twenty meters because I made it all the way to the under the body and between the back legs before I landed. The beast and I hit the ground almost simultaneously. The body tossed up a small puff of dust. Its body tossed out a huge puff of dust and a bunch of fake rock splinters, one nearly hit me, and I noted with a certain amount of resentment that its edges were way sharper than anything I'd managed to try while making a knife of stone. Perhaps the trick was to smack it with an inhuman amount of force. The creature must have thought it killed me. It stopped deafening roar for a moment and gave the remnants of my pavilion an almost thoughtful inspection. I used the breather to try and come up with some sort of strategy. I couldn't run. The thing was faster than me. I couldn't hide. There wasn't anywhere to hide. Maybe if I could stay behind it, could that work? But the fight wouldn't end and sooner or later they would catch sight of me. Still, maybe I was thinking in the right direction. It didn't look like the creature could easily scratch its own back. Desperate, I grabbed a rock and ran at the beast. I leapt about halfway up on its back and legs and then I used it as a platform and scrambled half and jumped the rest of the way onto the top of the thing's back. I threw myself flat, wedged my toes into a segment of its armor, and grabbed another with my hand. I had hoped maybe the thing wouldn't feel me through the armor and I could just ride around for a while, but once I gained my hopes were crushed. I had thought just gotten into position when the thing started screaming at full volume and bucking and jumping like it intended to throw me off. Finally, 
I caught a break. The huge thing, and it was fast, and it was strong, but it was also had titanic amounts of inertia. Riding on it was like riding a big ship through the swell of a roiling ocean. I don't know how long I held on to its back. It felt like a long time. But when you're riding a crab monster like a bucking bronco for the sick entertainment of a bunch of alien jerks, time has a way of stretching out. All I really know is that my ride went on long enough that I became confident that I could just hang on with my feet wedged down into the seam of its shell. Given that, I decided to try something. I slid into a seated position, gripped the rock both holding my both hands, and slammed it down into the thing's shell. It was a pretty big rock, maybe the size of a large watermelon. On earth, it would have been almost too big to lift, certainly. It would have been too big to lift with one hand while jumping around, so slamming it down with two hands was just enough to shatter some chips off of the thing's shell. It was much damage, but it was cumulative, so I started to hammer away. This time, I know exactly how long it was because I was counting my hits for some reason. When I noticed that the thing's vocalizations had changed, I had clobbered it 483 times and made an impressive little pit in its shell. I was down far enough that the shell was starting to grow translucent and somewhat weaker, and I was pretty sure that I'd start to actually hurt it if I kept going a little while longer. The crab made a really broad range of sounds right from the start. It didn't repeat itself much, which maybe should have made me think twice, as I started to hurt it. It started to make sounds like, and just ear-splittingly loud as everyone else it made and it was still mixed in with the other sounds, but now it was more common. The otaku was something that was more important in the situation. Thought otaku was a word. Holy ethos and pathos, Batman, was I trying to murder the crap out of a being that was smart enough to talk while thinking it was an animal? Admittedly, it had mostly fallen short of intelligent being by standard by trying to crush me into paste while screaming at the top of its lungs but I still hadn't even considered the possibility that there might be another intelligent life form in my very own situation. I stopped hammering for a moment and queried my biological for every detail of the translation. I'm an intelligent life form, are you? Sorted by the ease of pronunciation and the galactic position of the main use of the language with a preference towards those languages used deeper on towards the TPWAU inhabited space. Once the list was in place, I had a biological play them in my head, and I shouted them out as best as my ability. I think I got seven phrases in before the crab monster quit bucking and answered in the same language. If that's the case, then get off my back and quit hitting me. I had already quit hitting it, but I didn't get off its back. Instead, I sat on the thing stunned for a long moment. Well, I'm not really comfortable with you up there. Come on, we'll talk civilized beings. If I come down... Are you going to try and hurt me? I asked at length. Why would I do that? Well, you tried to kill me earlier, and you're still yelling. This time there was a long silence from the crab being before it answered. I admit fault for that. I have been in this place for many waxings and wanings of the bluest moon and the world sky, and during that time I have learned that I'm in the least danger in the arena if I'm immediately strike with an overwhelming force. As to my volume, I lack the physiological capacity to adjust it. I'm aware many other cultures find it threatening, and I once had a device to deal with the shortfall, but it wasn't equipped when I was seized. I considered that for a long moment and then jumped to the ground. It was a risk, I thought, but a calculated one. 
I'd happily take a fall if being wanted to arrange it so that it really had no motivation for hurting me. Moreover, I could see how the creature with such a hard-to-defend back would be paranoid about me sitting up there. It would be like how a human would feel if a knife at his neck. As arranged, we swapped stories. I learned the being had named Gronth, and there was sort of trade ambassador slash explorer for his people, who were called the Dozerik, the spaceship that had run into trouble, so it had turned on the distress beacon and put itself in a time compression bubble. Unfortunately, the TPWAU had answered the call and decided Gronth was some sort of pet or wild beast that the real creators of the ship had been keeping around. In this situation, I couldn't completely fault the logic. Gronth didn't have any hands and he couldn't build and directly manipulate technology. Apparently, when his people chose the leader, they all secreted sort of a hormone that made the leader grow into a mighty brute that could protect the tribe. Delicate manipulators were sacrificed in the process, though the individual actually became more intelligent. It was an interesting story and I really liked the surprise ending. I think if we work together, we might be able to escape. What, really? I wouldn't lie about such a thing. No, I, uh, I started to say and then trailed off. Now wasn't the time to explain the human idiom. It was amazing that our conversation in a language neither of us spoke natively was holding up as well. How? I finished instead. The gravetics of the arena weren't powerful enough to handle me when I first arrived. They upgraded, but they are still barely enough to handle me. I will use up their power, and you will climb up my leg and escape the arena floor. I believe that enclosure houses the arena controls. Gronth pointed to a small pullbox that looked much like a human stadium to control the center that they had. I was barely struck with the incongruity of having the secret planning session in ear-damaging volume with a giant crab. But this time, I was confident that the TPWAU would miss it, but that would just take it for a not-conversation. Then again, 15 minutes before, I would have been thinking about how easily that claw could cut me in half, not where it was pointing. I hyperventilated a bit, getting ready to jump, and then said, Okay, I'm ready. The human would have nodded and given him some sign, and heck, maybe Grant did that with a suggestive twitch on the back leg or something. But to me, it seemed like the giant just took off. He crossed the arena before I could even react, and then jumped for the lowest level of the stadium seating. I admit standing in there in the dull amazement for a moment at the sheer spectacle of the creature the size of a house leaping. Whoever or whatever was running the arena gravatrix reacted faster than I could. Grancher's trajectory rapidly curved downwards in a way that nothing could do with weak gravity of the moon. But even that wasn't quite enough. It got four of its limbs up and over the wall between the seating and the arena floor and buried its claws into the cement. The gravatrix grabbed Gronth for the moment and the colossus was pulled down. But then it roared, not much louder than ever before, but far lower in its sound rattled in my chest, thrummed in my bones and vibrated through my head, and the mighty being began to make an upward progress again. That, I decided, was my cue. I took off running and leapt onto the back of Gronth's leg, where it was curved and straining against the ground. To his back, my feet catching the same joints in his arm as before. Then, finally, his mighty claw as I reached up over his body, and I was jolted by the gravity fields that he was wrapped in, and my path followed the distortion out of the parables that I should have followed. But overall, I was ignored. I made it up to the seating area. The crowd of TPWAUs were already running in terror. 
and I can't flatter myself into believing that I added much to that. Instead, I followed their backs through the widening path as the empty seats at the control room. Through its main window, I could see that looked over the arena. I saw three TPWAUs. The entirety of a small space was occupied by flashing like bulbs and their throbbing speech. But little of my translator could make out demounted to something like, Get it, get it, get it, get it, get the gravity matrix on now. Bronth roared again, and the window to the control booth thrummed with it. I looked back to see the giant make another meter or so forward, though his limbs shook with effort. Surely its strength would give out at any instant. Then again, that was just a distraction. I snatched up a short of backpack one of the fleeing TPWAUs had left on their seat near the booth and slammed it through the window of the control booth. It was real glass, and the hail of shards that were more propelled than were already panicked controllers sliced him up pretty well. I'm not proud of how happy it made me feel, but they were a really terrible day, but was a little worse. Treat a man like an animal, etc., etc., I guess. I roared at the now fully accessible control booth, both operators. My volume wasn't anything as much as what Gronth was putting out, but then again, I was a hell of a lot closer. Something fell out of one of the TPWAUs, and I took that to mean that it was getting ready to bolt in the traditional manner of Earth life. Because I'm a friendly guy, I decided to help it out. And to that end, I reached through the now broken window, grabbed it by a handful of floating tentacles, and whipped it around my head a couple times, and hurled it into the general direction of the reader floor. It turns out, a human can get pretty good distance on a dog-sized creature in a moon's gravitational field. To this day, I have no idea if I killed it. Yeah, it didn't really know why what it was doing was wrong, and I maybe sort of hope I didn't. But recognizing other intelligent life forms is a survival trait, and something needs to be bred into the TPWAU. I was preparing to teach the second and third how to fly as well, when an extremely loud voice spoke up from behind me. Come, we must get somewhere my ship can land before they receive reinforcements. Your ship? The people who are has have prepared it, no doubt, as salvage. I have summoned it. How? Gonth pounded his claw into the stadium, shattering several low chairs of cement seating. I have no hands, and I have always controlled her with the cybernetic implant, but that isn't of consequence. I go now. Without waiting for me, the Gonth began to move. Really, the Dorosic had a good point there. I was being blatantly stupid playing 20 questions. We both scrambled the last little bit out of the crater into which the stadium had been built and onto the moon's surface. It was an ugly and largely desolate little world, but in an instant the dusty plain felt like a grand camion. Olympus Mons and a half dozen other natural wonders all rolled into one. Um, we need only move beyond the few buildings, Grant yelled, gesturing to the squat structures that surrounded the arena. Perhaps most of the settlements was underground but open space was close. At this point, I didn't need any encouragement, and we both took off running. We got clear of the buildings, and it's time to meet Grant's ship. That's when a question I hadn't really realized I had got answered. Grant couldn't have summoned the ship with any time after he was replied because it was huge. The thing was like a massive freighter or heavy military platform. It was way bigger than the arena or even the whole stadium, and though Grant might have trapped us under it, there was no way that we could have entered it until we got out of the hole. Its massive doors opened and we clambered in. 
Our escape from that point was fairly easy. Grant's ship had weapons, and we got them hot, but we didn't have to fight. We just burned hard for the gravitational warp minimum, and then went FDL. There wasn't any pursuit. I never learned why there wasn't. It could have been that the big ship was too intimidating. The TPWAU could have been scrambling everything they had, but they just didn't manage fast enough. Or they could have realized that we were intelligent. I mean, it's pretty freaking obvious when a dumb animal steals a starship that you made an miscalculation somewhere along the line, right? Despite my experience, to the contrary, the TPWAU aren't stupid. They just have a blind spot. That doesn't mean that humans should trip into the availability bias, assuming the single glaring issue represents the whole of the capabilities. It was easy to find human space as soon as I could see the stars. We were still fairly close, so Gronth took me straight home and then hung around in the initiate diplomatic relations. The personnel that I spoke to seemed excited about that. With the aid of a device and artificially modulates volume, Gronth is fascinatingly urban and intelligent. Moreover, the Dorazek see the universe a lot like humans. They're a long way away, but we should be able to open up a trade in digital goods. At least, that's what I hope. I am now Grant's representative frogging art, entertainment and research and design work, so a long story short, could I interest anyone in a product catalogue? End of chapter And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.